The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Goodnight Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Goodnight Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Goodnight Marilyn Radio, Nina Bosky. Hi, everyone. I'm Mina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Miss Monroe herself. Well, we've got uh, several shout-outs, especially after uh, last week being off uh, from a live show. We have Jeff from West Hollywood saying hi, Nick in Brooklyn, New York, Carl from Florence, Italy, Andrea from La Quinta, California, Darcy from West Virginia, Ralph from Little Rock, Arkansas, Anne from Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, Adriana from Monterey, California, Nunta from Thailand, and Lona from Denmark. Wow. So, hello, good night, Maryland fans. As you know, we are growing each and every day, and it's because of you and this story that we are shedding some great light on this mystery that has been haunting us for nearly 53 years. You know we are in season two, Marilyn's last day. There are so many people surrounding Marilyn's last day of her life. So many of them are connected, but how? So for today on Goodnight Maryland Radio, we're going to be discussing some of the involved events of August 5th, 1962 and thereafter, and we'll get more of the theories of what happened the night she died. And um, we also, in our last live show, we started talking about those theories. So I just need to point out that as we start moving from fact of what we know that happened that day, we're moving into some, some areas that a lot of us are just going to be suggesting or there is specific theories that it could happen, have happened. But it might also be that it's outlandish rumor. So we don't know right now the area. This is the gray area that becomes more of the complexity. So I just want you to know, as we're all talking today, you will hear the experts, all of us be talking today, and we may be talking as if it's true. Just know that I will do my best today to dispel fact from fiction, probable theory from outlandish rumor. Um, And so from time to time, I I may say, well, that's just a theory, okay? So I just want you to know because it happens to all of us. We, we, we hear something and we think it's true because somebody is saying it, including ourselves. So we got a wonderful uh, lineup, but we have a lot to cover today. We uh, have uh, a wonderful filmmaker. He's a graduate of Princeton. 
uh, AFI Center from Advanced Film Studies, Paul Davids, who has produced and directed over 10 films, most of which have gone to international TV from NBC Universal, films that cover many controversial topics. Uh, one of his most famous one is from Showtime's Roswell, but he also uh, began his career as a production coordinator of, of TV episodes of the Transformers, writing six Star, Star Wars books for Lucasfilms. He has a passion for studying the life and times of Marilyn Monroe, and his newest film is Marilyn Monroe Declassified. It is not out yet, so you'll have to wait to see it, but uh, he will be giving us the website so you can find out more details. We also have a another wonderful filmmaker. His name is Laurent Mollet. I love, uh, love saying his name. His documentary, which came out a few years ago, but it is still so relevant today, it is called With Her. And he profiles four of the biggest fans of Marilyn. And you really get, if you watch this documentary, the ability to see the passion and the intensity of the Marilyn fans, not just from the fact that they, you know, they love her and her beauty and her glamour, but really speak to the connection, the emotional connection and uh, the relationship between a person's own vulnerability and the vulnerability of Marilyn Monroe. And then later in the hour, we're, of course, going to have our wonderful uh, Gary Vitaco Robles, his uh, best-selling book. It's called Icon, The Life, The Times, and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volumes 1 and 2. I have to say, you're gonna, if you want a book that is very thorough and, and, and really and truly a much more neutral book in terms of, of her um, and really giving the mental um, and psychological aspects of Marilyn, um, I highly, highly recommend this book and this book series, the part one and part two. And then we're going to have Dana Kent also with us. And many of you haven't uh, had a chance to get to know her yet, but she is part of the Goodnight Marilyn film team. But more specifically, she is the uh, co-creator and one of the lead producers on the, the television version of the Goodnight Marilyn radio show called The Investigation Room. And that's where you're going to see a lot of the the experts that we have on the investigation team start to come to life. So with that said, let's get started. Also, just one other announcement. Coming up July 1st, however, there's a very, very good probability that we're going to be changing the date to August 4th. Uh, uh, We are going to be at the Formosa Cafe for everybody that is in the Los Angeles area. I want to publicly tell you that you can come out and join us. We're going to be doing a live two-hour event, live radio show. If you have your Maryland stories, you might just make it on the air because we're going to be there live live from the Formosa Cafe, talking and celebrating Marilyn's life, but we'll also be giving you a historical look at classic Hollywood. So on that note, let's get this conversation going. I have got my first guest, Paul Davids, and his new documentary, which I'm sure is going to stir a lot of questions. It is called Marilyn Monroe Declassified. Welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Okay, so how did this documentary come to life? Well, you know, I've made a number of documentaries about controversial subjects, as you say. This one did not begin uh, with the intention of it being a controversial film. I was invited uh, in Santa Fe to film the original Golden Dreams uh, existing negatives from the Golden Dreams nude calendar shoot. Uh, there's uh, about 20 of them 
still remaining. They're very, very large negatives, all uh, protected in, in plastic, and they were put on display in a private home. They're owned by a private collector, uh, Al Babbitt, uh, under his The Messenger Collection of Art. <clears throat> and uh, this group wanted uh, uh, photography and the opportunity for Al to tell the whole story of the Golden Dreams calendar as he knew and understood it. Um, and that's where it began. While uh, doing that, I met other people uh, who congregated there who had uh, various interests in Marilyn Monroe. So, I'd been so... interested in her as a filmmaker um, throughout my career. Um, the, uh, the roles that she played, the films she was in, the directors she worked with, uh, and, of course, the mystery of her death. The mystery of her death um, did not loom enormously large for me until I began getting deeper and deeper into the project, and then it became a major element. Well, one of the things I think is very interesting about your film is even though it's called Marilyn Monroe Declassified, I think you do a, a very good job in presenting the, the variety of films that she has been in, and it, it's it's really story storytelling at its best in the sense that you bring us to a light moment in the film, and then you will bring us to something to think about, which I think, um, more than anything, this film is going to stir, again, the questions of what really happened to her. Yeah, it, it, it surely will. And, and I felt that uh, this could only be done by putting center stage the personality of Marilyn, uh, her talents, Marilyn as a comedienne, uh, the enormous uh, gift that she gave to us, and, of course, the potential she had that was unfulfilled. I do want to say it's kind of ironic because usually a filmmaker talking about an unreleased film uh, would be on the air to promote its first uh, screening, and we are having our premiere this Sunday, in fact, uh, in La Jolla, sponsored by the San Diego Jewish Film Festival. And they have a wonderful 500-seat theater. And to my surprise, uh, they were sold out of tickets about two weeks ago. They have a standby list. So I, I can't invite your listeners to you know, get in the car and come on down to La Jolla to see the, the film now. But where but can they go to find and learn about the documentary as it starts to unfold and, and get more information on it? Sure. I mean, it, 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 this is the first step into the public arena. The, other, the second step, I would say, we, we really took yesterday when we put a website online uh, for the film. Uh, so what is the website? Uh, it's uh, three W's, of course, dot MarilynDeclassified.com. Okay, MarilynDeclassified.com to get uh, updates as they start to kind of unveil the, the you know, where you can see the film. I, well, uh, I, we, I, we, I, uh, Go ahead. I did want to say we, we uploaded quite a burst uh, yesterday because we completed our trailer, which you'll find there. And I have, uh, and, and please forgive that everything hasn't been proofread yet. I've already seen some typos. But uh, there's a very interesting array of people that I sought out and interviewed for the film. So who are and, some of the people that you interviewed? Well, let me go through it. Um, and they all have different connections and different degrees of uh, interest uh, in different sides of Marilyn Monroe in her life. Um, Pete Hammond, the well-known critic and cinema scholar, is a, is a, a sort of background uh, and backbone for this, who, who takes us through Marilyn's life. Uh, I talked to uh, Jimmy Morrissey, who was Marilyn's hairdresser after the Misfits, 
Mm-hmm. Um, he had interesting things to say that confirmed the Kennedy relationships because he talked about four times when he did her hair, twice when uh, she was going to see the president and twice when she was going to see the president's brother, Robert Kennedy. So it was a kind of additional confirmation of things that we uh, had already heard. Um, my interview with Philippe Mora, I think, is extremely important. He's a, a well-known and important and award-winning Australian film director and also a journalist uh, for Australian newspapers, but worldwide. Yeah. Philippe Mora is the one who stumbled upon uh, a very important declassified FBI document, um, which was titled Robert Kennedy. And you had to read it even to see that it involved mainly so Robert I've Kennedy. So I've got a question for you on this CIA document, okay? No, this because is I think CIA. This is FBI. FBI, is okay. FBI, yeah. There's okay. two really key declassified... Well, it's called Marilyn Monroe Declassified because we're interested in declassified documents, things that were held secrets for, 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 secret for decades that have come into the public domain through freedom of information. But this one that Philippe Mora focused on was from the FBI. There was another one that's CIA. Yeah. So did you want to ask so, your so, question about the CIA document? Yeah, I want to talk to you about that because, you know, the, when you go online, there's so much misinformation out there. Uh-oh. And, it, you know, you have, you know, hoax of the CIA document. You have, uh, you know, so I wanted to see, you know, from your documentation in this film, how do you know that this CIA document is real? Because that's, that's oh. an important question. Yeah, we, and, and, and we know it. But I want to proceed that by saying that uh, there was a hoax that uh, I think both of you, you and I, uh, struggled uh, with people's responses to it within the last few months when a false news story, a completely made-up tabloid thing, was released talking about some. Oh yeah, 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 that's a, the, yeah, had, yeah, 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 that's yeah, total. And, hoax, and yes. the man didn't exist. The story was a complete and total fabrication. It talked about Marilyn Monroe's relationship with Fidel Castro. I mean, you talk, you use the word outlandish, you know, liking to sort out the outlandish, um, and that really clouded the air. Um, because I talk to people all the time and say, well, didn't, didn't, didn't the CIA man, you know, admit to murdering her, you know, recently? And that, um, although they were important facts related to the CIA, that's not where you're going to find them. Yeah. So how is the, this? The, the we CIA are, yeah, document so th- uh, yeah. online, um, extensive research was done by Donald uh, Burleson, a math professor in Roswell, New Mexico, who I interviewed. And Burleson took the legitimacy of the document really uh, seriously by studying the contents and seeing that it referred to uh, wiretaps that he assumed must have been transcribed at some time. So he applied under the Freedom of Information Act, taking the document back to the CIA and saying, uh, look, under Freedom of Information, I'd like to see the transcriptions of the wiretaps that are mentioned here. And there was an initial response uh, saying, look, we, we did a search, our due diligence, we can't find any wiretap wire transcripts responsive to your request. But you can appeal this if you wish. You have 30 days. He filed the appeal. This is where it gets interesting because he stated his grounds for the appeal, um, his argument for the legitimacy of the document, and the legitimacy, in his opinion, of the CIA having wiretapped her at that time because she was out of the country in Mexico cavorting with known communists. And that was within the CIA charter to keep an eye on. Yeah. So he put in the appeal, and the CIA accepted the appeal. This is the key point. The CIA doesn't accept an appeal 
under the Freedom of Information Act on a document that they regard as fraudulent. They would disown the document first, as we can point to having been done in other cases. Got it. Um, I can think of one case where the FBI sent a document back and wrote in big, black, bold letters across the whole thing, hoax. That was not the case here. They accepted the appeal. So the CIA itself has not disowned the document, whereby they had the opportunity to do so. Well, I think that's an interesting investigation point, and I, the, the thing that I like about what you're bringing up is that's more exploration for us to uncover in regards to what is the truth and what isn't the truth. Question I have for you in this documentary, what do you want the public to get out of it? What is it that you're trying to achieve? Well, I, it, it's always hard to pin it down to one focus uh, because there's always multiple goals. I think with each of my films, my goal has been to push the envelope of thought for the public that might have frozen perceptions on a particular topic. It's why I took on things such as, you know, Jesus in India. Yeah. Um, Now, Roswell wasn't a documentary. That was a dramatic film with Kyle MacLachlan and Martin Sheen and Dwight Yoakam uh, for Showtime, but certainly controversial subject dealing with uh, UFOs. I did the Life After Death Project about uh, the question of evidence for afterlife communication. So I've always picked the tough topics. Yeah, and this is a tough one. So what is it you want us to get out of this one, though? Well, I think that people will come away. um, Some have described it as jaw-dropping. So I think people will come away a bit in shock, uh, feeling that there's so much that the government concealed from them uh, related to their surveillance of this actress and uh, her death, and the times themselves. Very, very important to understand the context of the times of that communist witch-hunting era, just after the era of the Hollywood blacklist and the House Un-American Activities Committee. Well, that's and a very the, interesting time anyway, you know, because yeah, the, there's the a lot vendettas, of stuff going on. The vendettas that were ruling the politics. The, yes, the fact that uh, Bobby Kennedy made it his mission to go after the mob leaders like Sam Giancana and to Teamster boss Jimmy Hoffa and created um, bitter enemies in them, blood, blood feuds, and hauled them before his Senate crime committee. Uh, and certainly there was motivation for vengeance. Um, well, I think I think the thing is, Paul, is, and, and if I hear you correctly, what you're saying with this film is it's going to stir thought. Some people are going to go, okay, what does this mean? Because I think that's the, the thing that I came away from it is a, it's like you stirred the pot, which I, 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 you know, I do this on the radio show. I'm stirring yeah. the pot. Um, but I think that with with this film, because you're a storyteller, right, is then the next next step is is not only how those dots connected, which is how you you know, portrayed your film, but then what is really fact that we know to be fact and what is the relationship to those things that you are giving us that look at? And that's going to be an important part for any investigation. And uh, the thing that I... Can I I interrupt and say that here's my take on it. Fact is always a difficult word in a cold case. We're talking about something that happened over 50 years ago. And... Almost all of the principals in it are dead. A few are surviving and are uh, non-cooperative for uh, reasons we can speculate on. Um, so 
putting aside the word fact for a moment, uh, one of the things Anthony Summers says in his excellent book, uh, Goddess, The Secret Lives of Marilyn Monroe, is that when you're analyzing a case, evidence tends to take you in different directions. Uh, some of it is contradictory, and you kind of put the evidence in different piles because some of it might suggest one outcome and other parts uh, a, a, an opposite uh, conclusion. But uh, as you build these piles, um, one of the piles gets bigger than the others, and then you start seeing how lots of pieces interconnect in ways you may not have seen before. That's what my film does. It's an emerge. It's like watching a, a photograph develop uh, in developer, as we used to do in the darkrooms in the old days. The image emerges where you really start to feel you see how the dots connect. Uh, that Marilyn was murdered, that it was an elimination, that the government was involved, well, that it I was think, done I, on yeah. orders. And this, the only, is, yeah. this is what emerges. And once the picture emerges, here's, here's what I think it's incumbent upon all of the Marilyn researchers to do. Once you begin to see the big picture, if it starts to make sense to you and you see that there is documentation for it, declassified documentation that goes back to that era, and some really good testimony that may have been overlooked from back in that era. You will find that there are some witnesses who may have been either discarded or overlooked along the way that people rejected because they had an objection to something they said that they thought was a falsehood or something they just didn't believe. And yet now you're going to see the kernel of the truth in something that they said at that time. How would they have known that? Because it connects so well with everything else. I'm talking about someone like Jose Bolaños, who's going okay. to come up and has come yeah. up a lot of times. I'm not talking about people like Robert Slatzer and Jeannie Carmen, who are very controversial. In fact, but I don't so mention in them some, in but in some ways, in but some ways, Jose is as well. And you and I have gone offline talking about you know the yeah. relationship between Marilyn and him. You yeah. are making a a a story and a documentary um, that you are connecting the dots for an angle in which. You know, you that you know, and and by the way, beautifully told. Okay, you but, saw, yeah. Tell your yeah. You, your audience should know that you saw it the other night. Yes, so. I saw it the other night. Beautifully told story. However, okay, you 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 speak as like Jose is a fact. Jose is not a fact. He may be part of it. He may not be part of it. But what we do know to be true is that he and Marilyn were not really in contact from the time of the Golden Globes to the time that she died. So, so when I, when I, when I talk to you about this and I, yeah, I, I, disagree. I, 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 dis, I disagree with that. And I really disagree that Bolaños is not a fact. There are he's lots not a of fact. facts that I he can point to about Bolaños. But here's, here's, here's the key point I think okay. we have to put in perspective. Okay. The case can be made ignoring Bolaños. The case can be made ignoring lots of things. You can, you can take away the theory that Marilyn ever slept with Bobby Kennedy or John, John F. Kennedy and still see the same emerging picture. You know, yes. They had a relationship, a, a friendship, an association. They knew and saw each other. They talked. You don't need more than that to put Paul, together Paul. the case. Yes, I, 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 so I don't disagree with you in terms of that. So, but so I going do, back, you don't need Bolaños. You don't okay, need Bolaños okay. to make the case. Paul, Paul, but, there but are what I want to share, Paul, that, Paul, that, 
Paul, what I want to share with you, and I think this is where I would like you, because I'm giving you a lot of leeway in the sense that I'm agreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing with you in terms of what you're 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 giving us as the audience to think about. Yeah. But some of what you do is you connect the dots, and they are theories. They're not actual fact com- completely uh, in a little box. And maybe what you said earlier on in terms of of looking at her case, right? We may never know all those little nice little boxes and put a little bow on it. But what I what I want to make sure that we're not doing is with your film as well, is saying it's exact fact because you too are connecting the dots with what you think no, no, no. versus here, what you know. Here's where I disagree with you. I have to disagree with you because I think I put the dots out there for the audience to connect. The connection exactly. is all, it's made in your mind. And yes. there are some absolute facts about Bolaños that, for example, there was a newspaper article on the 8th, two days after she died in which the police were looking for the Mexican who talked about making a call to her from Ship's Restaurant. So from two days after she died, we know that the police were looking for Alanya. Yeah, but we don't we know, know why and laid, how. We know that he was in Los Angeles. He laid flowers at her grave. We know Anthony Summers interviewed him about 20 years later and that he had some very interesting things to say that connect with the CIA document. And so... I'm not, I'm not saying it's not a connection. I'm not saying it's not a connection, but you also have to go deeper in terms of what that connection is and was. And so for, for me, I totally hear what you're saying. And I'm not saying that that shouldn't be investigated, but from my perspective, what's more important is why were the police connect wanting to call her? Was it because he contacted the media through his lawyer or was it really the truly that somebody that night said, oh, like Eunice Murray was saying, oh, by the way, he, she, she talked to a man from Mexico that led that to it. We don't know how that conversation and why the police were looking at Jose. Now, if we could get the police records to be able to really uncover that, then it becomes something that is much more substantial. So I know you're saying that there's a, a, um, a newspaper article. That's great. And I'm not saying it should be discounted. What I am saying is that it can't be completely um, dis- displayed as it is fact that he talked to her that last night. We don't know that. That's his word against everybody else that has known Marilyn. There's not anybody yet in Marilyn's life that could substantiate that they were going to get together, get married, have a film together. Nobody else. I haven't heard any of that except for coming from him. Well, all so, of that that appeared in some um, magazine um, here, here's the point. When okay. you build a case, any legal case, yes. you have certain fundamental facts that your case is built on that if those facts are knocked out from under you, yeah. um, you lose the case. Uh, I, I, I think when I think of the O.J. Simpson case, I think a crucial moment was um, the, uh, the line that said, if the glove doesn't fit, you must Acquit. Acquit. <laughs> now yes. we don't know why the glove didn't fit. You know, we don't know whether it shrunk. Uh-huh. Know, exactly. We don't know what the reason was, and uh, it didn't. Uh, uh, it, it didn't convince us because it didn't fit that it never fit and that it couldn't have been used. But it did do something to the jury at that moment that undercut the case and things changed and moved toward an innocent verdict because. The All right. So I the point would... here is simply stated that there are some building blocks to this, that if you uh, undercut them to the point that you threw them out, 
the total picture would change. The case would fail. It would stumble. You don't need Bolaños to make this case. There are a lot of things you don't need. You don't, you don't need Robert Slatzer, anything he said. You don't need a red diary. You don't need Jeannie Carmen. So the case is not being built on those things. It is being built on the existence of certain declassified documents that existed at a certain period of time. Um, so the case And stands. I do think, All I'm and saying let me is just, that yes. once, once you've built the case and the audience can start to say, aha, you know, I can... I think I can see how all those pieces fit together. All I'm saying is that at that point, it's kind of interesting, and this is where I put Bolaños, kind of interesting to go back and say, hmm, we threw him out. We said there was no one that could validate he ever made that phone call. We never knew whether he was telling the truth. But he did say a couple things to Anthony Summers that coalesced so well with things that were in the wiretap CIA document that you've got to sit back and say, oh, that's kind of interesting. So maybe that's I think what you're your, also saying, you got your Paul, A pile of evidence, and then you put that in your B okay. pile. And I've got to go to break, and unfortunately, we've got to close this segment out. I've, I've uh, gone with there, there saying, Nina, you've got to go to break. But this is very interesting. Maybe we'll even have you back again. But uh, the question that I have, and I think that what you really do, is you are creating a, another opportunity for us to look at this case, be able to, uh, like you said, question for ourselves, hey, maybe there's some, some validity to these documents and look at these documents a little bit more closely and let's not uh, throw out the baby with the bathwater. The case How for murder is very strong and we are MarylandDeclassified.com. Okay, MarylandDeclassified.com. His uh, movie, his documentary is coming out. Obviously, it's already sold out in terms of the, 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 the premiere. premiere. The first yeah, premiere. We'll be, we'll be unrolling it. We're, 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 we're working on, as with all my movies, most of them okay. ended up on television. I've got to go. All right, thank you so much for being on the show today. You're listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio, and we'll be back in just a moment. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Mad Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. 
All right, you're listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio, Season 2. I'm Nina Bosky. Today's theme, The Last Day of Marilyn Monroe's Life. We just heard from Paul Davids. His uh, new documentary, Marilyn Monroe Declassified, again, gives you an opportunity to really question what happened to Marilyn. going to switch gears just a little bit. We have a, a wonderful filmmaker. His name is Laurent Morlay. I had an opportunity when I first started with this wonderful project to have him on my Life Bites, a live television show, and he came on. And what a wonderful documentary you have actually, uh, you know, gave the world, which is profiling the Maryland fans. There are many of them, uh, but you really uh, profiled some of the, the most passionate uh, uh, fans of, of Maryland. Laurent, how did you uh, decide that that's really something you wanted to do with the documentary with her? Uh, hello, Nina. So thank you for the introduction. It's uh, wonderful. Uh, just to, to reply to your question, actually, I, I'm, Decided to be more and more close to Marilyn as I was uh, sitting in uh, Los Angeles. I was uh, moving in from France two years ago, uh, ten years ago. And as soon as I arrived in Los Angeles, suddenly Marilyn was everywhere in the city. And um, with my work as a filmmaker, I decided to, to take a closer look to her life and career. And I met with Greg Schreiner, the president of Marilyn Fans Club. And suddenly, you know, everything was obvious. I had to tell the story. Yes, yes. And I think that's the thing is, and so what, if somebody were to be watching this film, what do they get out of it and who are you profiling? I mean, to me, it was important to, um, to showcase in a way uh, who Marilyn is today, although she's been, you know, she left us years ago. I do believe that she's still alive. Um, in those people who on a daily basis fight to preserve her legacy. And uh, they are different. There is uh, Michael, who is a, a young uh, costume designer uh, from Europe who uh, moved with his family in Los Angeles. And Marine was a big part of his decision to live in Los Angeles and to do this work in the movie industry. There's also Monica, another young um, girl um, at school who uh, is totally in love with Marilyn, who dresses like Marilyn, who lives in the 50s, uh, which could be, uh, you know, kind of disturbing, but actually her choice is very mature. And of course, different, different other people uh, like Greg, of course, the president of the fan club, uh, who's been uh, uh, handling this beautiful organization for many, many years now. Well, you know, it's so funny. I remember from the documentary very clearly, and it gave me an insight into who the Maryland fans are are today and how passionate mm-hmm. they feel about her. I forget who said it in the documentary, but the question was asked, if you could, uh, if you had to choose between having a relationship with somebody or Marilyn Monroe, what mm-hmm. would you choose? They picked Marilyn. I thought that was yeah. very telling, you know. So, so tell me, um, tell me where they can find the documentary with her, and because I think that's a very compelling uh, documentary, and nobody's really done it on the fans. And to me, to your point, the fans keep her alive. Yes, totally, totally. You can find the, you can watch and download the the documentary on iTunes in the television section. So you, you type a search like Marilyn or With Her, which is the title of the movie, and uh, Marilyn Monroe would be enough to find it. You have to be in the television section, though, uh, not in the feature film section. It's a documentary no. made for television. So for iTunes, television. that's the place to find it. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Laurent, for being on the show and giving us a little insight into the documentary and uh, lots of uh, success and love with this film, continued success, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking soon and uh, safe travels back to France. Thank you so much, Nina. Goodbye. All right. You take good care. You're listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio as we continue the conversation. Going to bring on the, the guest panelists. Sorry that uh, we went a little bit over, but, uh, you know, as you could tell, this is a very um, good topic for us to discuss. I have Gary Vitaco Robles, who is the, um, you know, with us on a weekly basis. He uh, has the book Icon, the Life, the Times, and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volumes 1 and 2. Also have Dana Kent, who is um, who is uh, not only the creator but uh, co-lead uh, producer in the Investigation Room, which is the television series uh, portion of Goodnight Maryland Radio. And I'm very uh, excited to say that we also have Randall Libero back, uh, who's our executive producer here for Goodnight Maryland Radio, all chiming in in terms of our discussion in the last day of Maryland. So hi, guys. Welcome to the show. And uh, is everybody on the line with me? Hi, Nina. Hello. Hi. All right. Well, good. I'm so glad. Um, So what do you think? We just, uh, we went through, uh, you know, I've had a chance to talk to uh, Paul Davids. Uh, Obviously, he creates uh, some wonderful, compelling, um, uh, you know, questions for us. Uh, Dana, I'll start with you. Uh, What what do you, you you had a chance to see the documentary as well. Um, You know, he brings up some good points. I think the point, if I could, uh, to start with to make is that, Because in the investigation room, we really only want to give credibility to substantiated facts, and in lieu of the fact that that's our objective, when you're looking at things that are presented, you have to keep that in mind always. At least we do. I know that, you know, Nina and I do. But in regards to, like, for instance, you know, if anyone's questioning if somebody spoke to somebody, would it not be the best way to go to get proof of fact, which would be telephone records? So that would mean that Pacific Telephone would be able to have something that proves that a telephone call happened and that the telephone number really was with that individual. So the fact that he has thought-provoking information is amazing. Like, that part is, is fabulous, because unraveling anything to me is where you get to the core, the meat of the, of the matter. But in regards to taking that information and stating it as fact, as you were talking about with uh, Paul online, uh, that's a whole other level and a whole other step. And okay. that's what we're trying to do. So I just All want right. to bring it, that piece up first. That's beautiful. So, um, Gary, w- how do you want to chime in here? Well, um, the, the pieces of information that appear in the trailer um, appear to be um, the CIA, the alleged CIA document that Milo Spiriglio had first published, I think, in 1993 in his third book about um, his murder theories called Crip 33. And it's um, wiretapping of alleged conversations between the gossip columnist Dorothy Kilgallen and Henry Rosenthal. And this became very uh, popular in the media because there was some mention of um, uh, the president. Uh, visiting a secret Air Force base for the purpose of inspecting things from out of outer space, and it was presumed to be possibly the the alleged Roswell incident. And then it made um, references to Marilyn's uh, secret diaries and her belief about the president's plan to have Castro murdered. Um, so it it has been circulating for um, a, a period of time. Um, uh, the other document that I see. Um, in the trailer uh, comes from the FBI declassified files. And um, 
in many of the files, you know, um, it's Marilyn being investigated during her lifetime because of her connections with um, alleged communists or people with leftist political standings. And then there's a whole series of other documents that are actually related to um, different books and articles post her death, which are making allegations about a murder conspiracy. And I think the other uh, document that's, that's being referenced was released in 1984, and um, it's a summary of, of some of the theories, and it also make, re- makes references to a Newsweek magazine article from 1963. So again, it, it wasn't current investigation at the time of her death. It was um, information gathered about theories being uh, proposed following her death. And Dana, you want to well, add anything? Yeah, I just was going to just add, I think that burden of proof is interesting. Like, for instance, when you're talking about Dorothea Kilgallen. Um, during that time, Paul did bring up a very interesting point, which was the fact that the, you know, the state of mind of everybody during that time, during where communists and how they were with people, blackballing people in Hollywood, and that whole, you know, sort of mentality and state of mind was true. And from a circumstantial standpoint, that would apply, Right. And in the case with her, there's photos of her with Marilyn, and there was the whole thing regarding that document that referred to her and JFK and the UFO, you know, issue, which sort of ties it again together. But again, that's not proof. It's, it's sort of where you can put things together. Even her unusual death, meaning Dorothy Kilgallen's death, she died from a questionable overdose from barbiturates. So, so collectively, it kind of alludes to things, but, but when you get into burden of proof again, to me, it's interesting because, and, and Gary, maybe you could help me with this part. Evidently, a father-son Woods uh, brought, was interviewed in regards to uh, Cooper's being the point of reference as far as saying that these wiretaps and all of the information was uh, a resource, a true resource of information, and that it could be substantiated. But they kept on decrediting who he was be it from the post office, who it would be illegal to get information without reporting it, and on and on through the document, where it basically proved, at least from their theory, that, that it wasn't correct. And I think, again, it's so difficult to, to go to a burden of proof, and you have to unravel, because circumstantially or by positioning, things can seem a certain way. And that's why when some, you know, from the government standpoint, they may have something that's presented, but my question is, how, do, how are they able to prove that something is real or not? To me, it has to be proof. One well, way one or the of the other. things... Do you agree with that, um, Gary? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I mean, there, there's a, a gentleman online by the name of Anthony Bagalia who's done a lot of research about Tim Cooper and uh, discovered that he had a connection to Milo Spiriglio, is that they were both connected to the Nick Harris Detective Agency. And so mm-hmm. you know, the, the authenticity of this document was never verified, but if it is indeed declassified, then um, anyone should be able to request a copy of it and pay for a copy of it and receive it. But I think even according to Begalia, um, Cooper then um, disavowed uh, this document and many others that he had unearthed and presented as frauds. And he, he points to an email that was written in 2009 to a, a, a UFO researcher, Robert Hastings. So it becomes yes. very questionable. Well, I yes. think the thing is, though, you know, when you go back to what Paul said, though, you know, when, when you are appealing a document and they didn't say hoax, they, they, they accepted it, then it becomes, okay, what's real, what's not real? Um, and, and again, 
going back to connecting those dots in a more um, succinct way, which is not easy to do, you know. Um, and and one of the things that I think is important, you know, even in the documentary, and I thought he did an interesting job of this in terms of really getting you to think, because he um, he had a, a, a segment in there where you have uh, the two presidents. You have pre- uh, President uh, Bill Clinton and you have President uh, Barack Obama in these little, uh, you know, segments where they're, t- you know, Jimmy Fallon, they're on the Jimmy Fallon show and uh, no Jimmy Kimmel show I'm is it Jimmy right. Jimmy Kimmel yeah Jimmy Kimmel yeah. show and he's mm-hmm. basically saying you know okay you got into the you got into the White House and okay uh, President Clinton you had to go into those files those classified files what did you find there's really UFOs right and you see how President Clinton uh, answers the question same thing with President Barack Obama. So for us to to think that we are all alone and that UFOs don't exist, I think from that perspective, he does a good job of of displaying that, you know, they're they're there. We don't know what those documents and what they're trying to reveal or not reveal because we don't have, again, enough information. Uh, Dana, you were going to jump in here. Yeah, I was just going to say, but where that relates to Maryland to me, if something is compromising in one's life because they are privy to information that could put them in jeopardy, which is a true fact. I mean, people that know things that are, you know, in secret or, or confidential, does compromise them in some way, you know, for, for in that regard. So as it relates to this case, I would have to say that given, because again, fact for fact, given that that is a fact, could that relate to her being compromised in some way? Well, well, then you can bring it into the scope of, of the subject matter, which is, is, you know, the controversial, the questions that, that surround her death. But I, but once again, I just wanted to add, it's just like when, when we were talking, when he was talking about something being in a newspaper, just because something's written, it's fact. I mean, that we yes. all know. Yeah, that, that's are a very clear. that are not correct, and just because there's a picture of something, it just, it, I just I find that to be the most challenging part of this. You yeah. have something that says, yes, that's true, that's really written, somebody really signed that, well, that's good. That means that what I'm looking at is real. But it's the content of what it's saying correct and true. Not necessarily. And that's where this, the layers of this continues to get more difficult. That's why, again, the burden of proof, and especially for the investigation room, what we're trying to do is get to that place of, of only giving that credibility to something that's substantiated, not circumstantial, which, by the way, is very important, not positioned, which is also very important, because what he does do, meaning Paul in his documentary, it's so thought-provoking, it takes you down another road of investigation. But you have to land somewhere. And for us, you know, obviously, we just want to land in the truth. Yeah. And, Gary, what would you like to add to that? Well, I, I agree with everything Dana has said. And, you know, our, our mission has been um, to be authentic and to be open. And um, we have to, you know, basically see uh, when this film comes out, what's the point that's being made? And if uh, there is a, another theory being presented, you know, does it offer more than just another theory? Does it actually place other people in Maryland's home, and does it then refute the physical evidence that we already have about her death? And, you know, we've, we've uncovered a lot of um, significant information in, in the course of the show over the last few months. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, what we know that we have uncovered, just to recap for people who have not been listening, is that Marilyn indeed died between 8 and 9 p.m. on August 4th, okay? So it wasn't uh, later in the in the morning hours. It wasn't 10 o'clock at night. It wasn't 11 o'clock. It was between 8 and 9 o'clock. We do know that to be, sh- be uh, for sure. We do know that Dr. Engelberg, um, who said that went on camera in interviews saying that he indeed did not prescribe chloral hydrate to Marilyn, actually did. And not only did he uh, uh, prescribe it, he prescribed it days before her death and months before her death. And when you look at the accumulation of the doctors that were giving her this medication in today's days and standards, today's standards, um, these doctors would be in the criminal justice system. So we have definitely uncovered a lot. One of the things that keeps circulating, and it circulates in this documentary too, Gary, is the darn washing machine. We still oh. can't quite quite place where that darn washing machine, yeah. if it we were there. Probably, all- we could probably put that to rest. I, I wrote a book about 15 years ago, Cursuum Proficio, Marilyn Monroe's Brentwood Hacienda, and I, I researched the home and floor plans of the home and um, renovation floor plans done by St. Charles Kitchen. And this was a very small bungalow built in 1929 um, and had very little closet space only just under 2,000 square feet, and I could not locate a washer and dryer within the confines of the home or in the kitchen area. And I, I do, did have access to uh, photographs that Mrs. Murray, Eunice Murray, the housekeeper, had taken of the home shortly before Marilyn's death. And we couldn't find a washer and dryer anywhere in it or plumbing hookup for it. Um, there was a detached guest house, and I have photographs only from one angle of that room. We can't find a washer and dryer there either. And there was a, a garage that was attached to the guest house, but detached from the house. And there are some um, pictures of the garage door open and cluttered. Um, it's possible that the washer and dryer was there. But I must say, the same people who are alleging that Mrs. Murray was running a washer and dryer and thus possibly destroying evidence are the same people who also say the plumbing was shut off in the house and that would have prevented Marilyn from swallowing the pills with water. So there's a contradiction <laughs> even within that contradiction. Well, of course, of course, which, you know, again... <laughs> Can I add something right sure. there? That it's, what's interesting, Gary, and this is what you do so well, I mean, look, I don't even know if this is true, but underground plumbing is underground. And I'm wondering if, you know, if, if true to point again that that could even be investigated. I mean, just because something shut off or something on the, uh, you know, from the foundation of the home on up has been changed, plumbing's under there. It's, it's way deep. You know I, I, gotta, I mean, hey, I'm just can saying I, that I'm wondering if we can get there. And, and to Gary's point, if I could just mention sort of like the flavor of what he does, it's like that thing with, uh, you know, with, with her doctor. For, for somebody to say that they are proven that they did give them something, well, when, when, when they're in probate and somebody has passed away and somebody submits a bill and an invoice that makes reference to something, that's the place in which it really shows you. So to, in that flavor, sort of what you do, Gary, in the way that you will unravel and get deeper to the place of proof, I just wonder if uh, under the ground somebody could find the piping. You know what I mean? Question. That's still question. there, I would think. Can I chime question in there if something? Randall's on the line. He had a chance and an opportunity to be able to be at the house itself, too, in back 1986. in 1986. I was there in 1986, and here's what happened. When I was there, 
taking photographs of the front and back of the house, and I was actually in the house, too, at that time. Um, there was a workman there who was actually working on the sewer system. And I said, because yeah. he, had, he had a hole open in the ground, okay, at one point. And so I said, so what, what the heck are you doing to the house? He said, well, this house has long-term, long-time sewer issues. And so it's been fixed, it's been band-aided a couple of times. So I'm trying to resolve this once and for all as far as what needs to be done here. That's what he told me. Okay, interesting. But you didn't see, did you see in any of the photographs where a washer and dryer, and no, obviously you weren't I was in the it. back of the house by the pool. I was uh, around, I actually had a chance to go in the house. And in 1986 at that time, I entered the house from the, the, the door by the pool. So Gary would know what, what door that is. The, the door into the sunroom? The, the door, yeah, the door into the room that goes, and then it opens into the whole house. That door was open. It wasn't locked when we were there. And, and, and we have right by the pool. Wires, by the way? Right by the pool. It was right by the pool. Yeah, that enters the sunroom and then goes into the dining room and kitchen. Yeah, that's and, how and we went. And subsequently, yeah. the house has been um, extended and the courtyard has been taken away. And now the guest house is attached to the rest of the house. Right. With a kitchen expansion, yeah. so it's been uh, it's gone under ma major renovation. Yeah, but I took a photograph. Well, I'm just wondering of, yeah. if there are notes from the plumber to his point, which is wonderful. Well, but I wonder if that plumbing company had notes. I don't know, but you know, obviously work was being done when I was there in the fall of 1986, right. and we can go and check it out. And Saint Charles, exactly. uh, Saint Charles did do the kitchen, and they submitted paperwork, and they had to have been paid. Mm -hmm. And I have seen the floor plan they drew of the kitchen design. Um, which didn't indicate a washer and dryer. Well, I and, think, and thing, let's not forget about permits too. They have to exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, you know, I don't want to get back on this washing machine, but you know, it does keep on coming. <laughs> it keeps on coming back in every single documentary. And the reality is, is we can't locate it uh, in the house anywhere. So then it would be, is it in the garage or the the guest house? And and, and we you know, do have a list of all the new appliances which Marilyn did purchase, um, including kitchen appliances. That's another that's, list that, that a, yes. a collector has. Well, you know, another one, Gary, and you've mentioned this, or uh, somebody had mentioned this, that she actually uh, would send out for her laundry, right? Yeah, so Mrs. You, Murray we, mentions that in her memoir. And, okay. and there was a particular person that she trusted because he had returned um, money left in a house dress. So it was not just dry cleaning, but it was laundry services uh, as well. So then the question is, is if we were to go back to her estate and su final submitted bills, right, would have that have been in there since obviously she was doing laundry up until her death. So, hey guys, I cannot believe it. We're almost at the end of the, the show once again. Uh, Gary, what would you like to add in terms of this discussion today? Well, I, I like the point that our next step is maybe to research some documents and see if we can uncover specific information um, that will actually serve as evidence. All right. And Dana? Absolutely. Ditto. I mean, it's exactly my feelings on this. I mean, Randall, it, we, we are now going into that direction. It's perfect. Randall, any last thoughts from you? In terms of Paul's reasoning on that the CIA verified, that he feels they verified that document by allowing the appeal, um, remember you're dealing with an organization that's, that's an espionage organization, and they may have wanted Paul to think they were verifying it and wanting it to think a certain way and think a certain reality, so they actually did allow the appeal. So you have to think, remember, this is a spy <laughs> organization. <laughs> this is a spy organization. Oh, my gosh. That's a good point. Right. Yes. No, right. 
Yes, the psychology behind the psychology uh-huh. behind That's the psychology, right. which right. makes this which makes this case so complex. All right, guys, thank you so much. I'd like to thank all my guests. Paul David's his new uh, documentary. Obviously, it's going to stir the pot for a lot of us, which will get us thinking. Marilyn Monroe Declassified. Go to MarilynDeclassified.com. Also, uh, Laurent Morlay, his wonderful documentary with her, if you'd like to really find out what those Marilyn fans and how passionate you guys all are. Wonderful documentary. And again, to Gary Vitaco Robles, Icon, Lifetimes, and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volumes 1 and 2. Dana Kent, obviously, in our wonderful investigation, uh, moving it out from radio to television. And as well, Randall Libero could not do this show without you. So thank you, guys. And until next time, I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Marilyn Radio. And never stop dreaming. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night Marilyn Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 